Guardians. Oh, Cleveland Guardians and the New York Yankees will play tomorrow, we think. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to get our last thoughts on game one. I've got a fun surprise in store for Justin, so make sure to tune in to see what he does. Uh, as I gave him no preparation, no knowledge. He has as much as knowledge as you do right now. So make sure to check out Locked On, the full amount of Locked On Guardians Day. You are Locked On Guardians. Your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Ellis. Uh, before I had this job here, well, if you want to go back to the beginning, the first article I ever wrote on sports was in a MySpace little written article. I'm being honest. Let's let's. I started on MySpace of all places. I think about four people read it, uh, but the the big stuff was the first gig at Indians prospect insider, becoming Indians baseball, now Guardians insider. And then the big thing, if you know me outside of that, as being a lead draft and prospect analyst that's gotten 24-7. Justin, tell them all about you. Yeah, Jeff and I met at, uh, when I was writing for, I don't even know who I was writing for 10 years ago, and you were at Indians were you Prospect at Insider. Lorraine? Were you at something in Lorraine? I don't know why that's in my head. I no. might have been at the News Herald at the time. No, 2012, I have no idea. I Yeah, it might have been the News Herald. It could have been fan-sided. It could have been ESPN Sweet Spot. It could have been... Uh, one of paper. many Cleveland's. You were at a paper. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah, I was at the News Herald at one time, and I still freelance for the News Herald. But uh, yeah, we met at a uh, covering minor league baseball in the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians system way back when. And you can find me now at uh, Guardians Baseball Insider covering prospects as well for the written side of things. I want to take a moment and thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is that you get podcasts. And something I haven't done on the show with Justin, but something I always like to do is, you know, a big part of the show is the fans and getting the fans to help. And I always say I would like to give a shout out when they leave a review on iTunes because those iTunes ratings help. So thank you to Goats one two three four. Uh, appreciate the review. And I want to also take this moment and say, go subscribe on YouTube. We're at like 750. That last 250 is right there. It's huge for us. So if you like the show even remotely, I would we would both appreciate that. We got a lot to talk about today. And they always tell us not to use that exact uh, phrasing there. Not to say we got a lot to talk about, but we do. We're going to have our final thoughts on the game. Now we've had 24 hours to ruminate. We're going to talk about the matchup for tomorrow. We're going to debate if a rain delay is helpful or not. Uh, we might talk some hitting coach. And like I said, I got a surprise in store that Justin is already dreading. Uh, I can tell, but let's just want you lead us off. What are your kind of 24 hours later, your thoughts on game one? Yeah, I, I think just stewing on it overnight. I think I'm bothered more by the fact that looking back at the bases loaded opportunity in game one and going back to wild card game two with the Rays, that those opportunities, they weren't earned. They were kind of given, you know, they had the against the Rays, they had the the two walks, and I think the hit batter, which is batter, the right. bases for them. Yeah, and then against the Yankees, they had, I think a, they had the hit-by-pitch for Vermette, I think, and then Jose doubled, and then they made an out, and then Josh Naylor grounded a ball to third, and Josh Donaldson decided to throw home, but, uh, or no, it was Anthony Rizzo. I can't remember which one it was at this point, really, but either way, whoever it was in the corner threw home, 
and Ahmed Rosario scampered back to third. He was safe. Naylor was safe. So they got one ball out of the infield in that inning on two batted balls to load the bases. So their two best scoring opportunities, a combined one hit. I think that's what bothers me more about the offense right now is they're not, they're not getting hits to even get guys on. Like they're not they're We talk about how hard it is to string hits together against the Garrett Cole, against the Shane McClanahan, against the Tyler Glass. Now, even in those situations, they were given those situations to work with and they didn't get hits after they were given to him. So I think that's even more frustrating. I know one hit could have changed things, but I think it's a little more frustrating that they are not creating the opportunities for themselves. They're kind of being given them and not, they're not uh, taking advantage. Yeah. I mean, they're number three hitter in terms of OPS again, small sample size, really the value is limited. It's still miles straw. Um, if you told me miles straw would be the third most effective hitter in the postseason, I would be concerned. And I mean, I think we have a right to be the offense hasn't shown up and you know, I, we've seen flashes from guys like Jimenez and Quan. Um, it's been pretty brutal for Rosario. Um, it's been pretty brutal for the Cole catching situation. Will Brennan just looked every bit a rookie in that game yesterday. I, I don't know exactly what they can do because, you know, my final thought was like, for as much as we talked about not pinch hitting for hedges, that, that bench is just so rough. Like, one of the maybe the failing, honestly, on this team this year is not having figured out a few more guys. Not uh, they had so many guys come up and then go down and go up and go down. It's like maybe instead of Palacios, Jones should have got a longer look. I mean, he's still top ten on this team and runs creative plus. Like he's one of their top ten hitters this year in terms of production. I know it was a small sample size and he started to cool off, but like I, I'd rather have Nolan Jones on this bench than a few other guys. At least he provides a potential pop and he'll walk, which is something they miss. Um, I kind of wish we maybe get a chance to see Arias. I that we didn't seen him at all. Um, Cause again, at least he can work out walk. I think my final thoughts were just this team. Listen, anyone who listens to the show knows I don't like contact, high contact, low walk profiles. And that's what this team is. And the problem and the reason I don't like it, it's the same reason I had issues with Oscar Mercado and who I've had with Ahmed Rosario and you can make that laundry list of players, Ty, why I've been lower on Ty Freeman the most, is there's a high streak profile to it. There is a lot of, you can be very good, and sometimes the ball doesn't land well, and sometimes you can be bad and the ball lands well. You're, you're putting a higher variance of risk, and I think we're seeing that right now. Yeah, something we can really discuss over the offseason, hopefully, that you know that takes a while, but... Definitely the walk and the walk rate and the discipline is a concern with these profiles. I think that's something they're missing more more so than power is the ability to work walks outside of Jose Ramirez and um, yeah, Quan. I guess that's the Straw, only two guys not bad at it. Yeah, but teams don't fear him enough to actually no. like walk him. They're like they would rather him try to hit his way on base. So. Jose is and Quan are the only ones that you fear enough to try to not walk on their own. I can't think of anybody else in the team that I'm, you know, specifically trying to pitch around. No, no, no one at all. That's the thing. It's like, it's a very good lineup. And compared to the lineups we've seen the last three years, it's like, this is the 1995 Indians all over again. When you compare them to like the 2020 lineup, it's, it's five steps in the right direction. I just, my whole view, it's like, and the fun part to a degree is this is like a baseline for this lineup. You and I both follow this minors. It, it, it's loaded. This team is just, should just continue to get better and better. 
Um, you know, they have things to figure out, but you know, that bad bench should not be an issue in a year. Yeah, hopefully. Again, we can we can address all that in the yeah. offseason where things go. I don't wanna I don't wanna get too deep into that. Belabor the point, uh, yeah. But no, I just yeah. I wanna I just wanna throw a positive in what it's been a very yeah. negative twenty four hours. Like no matter how low it gets, yeah. it's been a really fun year, it's a really fun team, and the future is bright. Speaking of things that are bright, I should probably take a moment here, throw it to one of our fantastic sponsors who likes to make some bright things, some bright, comfortable clothing. That is our new sponsor, Roan. Uh, listen, I like a, an airy shirt. I like a light shirt. This is my locked on. They sent us this a few years ago. This isn't necessarily this isn't a Roan, but what I like about shirts like this is they're just comfortable. I've been wearing this all day without issue, and Roan takes it to a new level. It's the dress shirt was due for reinvention, and they stepped up the challenge with the commuter shirt. It's the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man, and here's why. It's a comfortable four-way stretch fabric, provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to 18 holes on the golf course. You want to look great, and this allows you to look great and feel it very easily. It's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without hassle. Roan's wrinkle-free technology wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the shirt. It's that easy. And listen, if you're out there playing 18 holes, you got to worry about odor. With the Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be able you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. The commuter shirt gets you through your workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com backslash locked on and use the promo code locked on to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order. Head to roan R-H-O-N-E.com backslash locked on. Use the code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort. I gotta be honest, I am half tempted. Just because this is the type of clothes I like to wear every day. When you are a teacher who sometimes has to chase children around a building, uh, a comfortable, breathable shirt is a necessity. So I'm going to, before we get in the preview, it's now time to have fun at Justin's expense here. Sorry, bud. (laughs) Nestor Cortez is an absolutely fascinating player. This is his third stint with the Yankees. He was a Rule 5 selection to Baltimore who a Josh Donald, Josh Donaldson home run was his last. That's what caught or Yeah, it was Baltimore caused him to get cut. He gave up a home run to Donaldson, got sent back, was traded for cash considerations, let go, went back to the Yankees. One of the other fascinating things about uh, Nelson Cordes is just the complete unlikeliness of success for a 36th round pick. So I got wow. a two-parter here for you, Justin. All right. Can you guess? I get this wrong, 100%. Can you guess the most successful? He is the th- right now. He is the third highest war of any 36th round pick in the history of baseball. Can you guess either of the players that are ahead of him? Do I get any hints? Can I ask for clues? Can uh, I phone a friend? One, one with the Diamondbacks, one with the Mariners. And fun fact, the Mariners uh, also in the 36th round didn't sign either of these guys, but drafted out of high school, Scott Atchison in 1994 and Nick Hagedone in 04, 10 years between them. But those were a pair of 36-rounders to Seattle who have the greatest pick, who I think made some all-star teams, and then the Diamondbacks, I say an outfielder for Seattle and a second baseman for the Arizona Diamondbacks. An outfielder. Um, how about what year? Like, is, is asking what year he, they were? these guys were drafted? Too much of a you know, I, uh No, I can, I, can, I can pull up. I have, you know, I was having some fun with this. Um, I currently had up my information on the the last pick to sign from the 36th round and the last pick to be drafted for Cleveland. 
let's see, the high war was uh, 1992 out of Miami-Dade College. This is for which player? Seattle, outfielder. 1992. Jay Buner? Buner was from the Yankees, I believe. So this is Raul Abanez with a 20.9. Wow. Yeah, he is. I mean, he he blows everyone else out of the water. Uh, Our Diamondback, like I said, it's a second baseman. And he is from... Uh, he is from 1996 at a Cowley Community College. So you want to go ju- Juco. The other players that the Diamondbacks took in the, the, the... Here's the other fun thing. I literally went through every team. So the three guys have made it in uh, Diamondbacks history. Alex Cintron, who signed, and Mike Freeman, who didn't sign. Like Jesse Levis was a 36-round pick who didn't sign. There's a lot of former Indians who did not sign as 36-rounders. Uh, second, So a second base of the Diamondbacks from 1996. Yes, draft? he was draft, drafted out of Cowley Community College. Tony Womack started with other teams, right? I'm thinking of... Was he with the Pirates baseman. first? Yeah, I think I think he was an expansion draft pick. I don't think they picked him. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jay Bell was with Cleveland first. J.S. for initials. J.S., J.S., J.S. Wow. Um... I know it's not Justin Sellers. That's the first player that came to mind was Justin Sellers. I can throw this with it's Junior Spivey. Oh, that's a that was a good clue. The JS the JS should have been a good clue. Junior Spivey. Okay. If to round out the top five, TJ Matthews, who I barely remembered, and then Jason Bray, only fifth at a three point three career WAR. That surprised me a little that he was that low. Uh, Now for the other fun part of it, Cleveland. Just I'll throw this out there in case people are, are wondering. The last player they signed in the Rule 5 draft was Ryan Colgate, an Ohio kid out of Ohio Dominican and Centerville. He was in uh, drafted in already two, uh, 2015. Ryan Ramsey was the last player they drafted in the 36th round. He went to University of Maryland and was drafted this past year in the 13th round by uh, Kansas City. I don't... Listen, I, there's no way you're going to know the most successful Cleveland Guardians, 36 rounder. They don't have any of them who made the big leagues that they signed. So if you're curious, right. I, again, I went through every single player because I'm weird. In 1994, they drafted a gentleman named Tony Doherty out of Slippery Rock University in Pennsylvania, and he got up to AAA. He's the only player I saw on the list who made it to AAA in the Cleveland Guardians organization. Uh, he play, He was pitching uh, through 2000, bounced around a bit. Uh, but there you go. That's that's just kind of some of the randomness. The 36th round is bad. Like I said, the fifth player ever is a 3.3 war. So that's kind of my random fun with trivia. Nelson Cortez, as I said, he has bounced around. He showed some signs of life. So he's with Baltimore in 2018, New York in 2019, Seattle in 2020, New York in 2021. Finally shows some like performance this year, he is, you know, he's got a chance to get some top five votes for the Cy Young. How big do you think is the Matt, <laughs> the Matt Blake effect? I'm going to drink some tea while you talk about that. Yeah. Let's see what Blake, Blake got there. Was he there in 2020? Did he leave after 2020? I, I can't remember what year Matt Blake he left. was. I believe he was in 2020 is when they brought him over. Yeah. So he was a Seattle in 2020 and yeah, he wasn't doing much of anything. Didn't look like anything. Yeah, I. I mean, it. It's hard to say in Cleveland. Like they got so many people who are, 
in the room with, with these guys pitching wise, like, you know, everybody was like freaked out when Ruben, Ruben Niebel left, like, Oh, there goes the pitching pitching factory. And I was one of them. I'll be honest. Yeah. Well, the pitching factory is uh, still running pretty good. I, mean, I would say, but I, I mean, I hear decent things about uh, that Tanner Bybee uh, who, who did some things this he year. He seems maybe. like he's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. They've done uh, a good Gavin, job Gavin, Gavin, no, I don't know. Uh, people talk about yeah. him a lot as well. Yeah, some some Daniel guy. He he's pretty good. Yeah, they'll they'll be okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, he obviously they've lost a lot of pitching minds, and the fact that the Yankees didn't have to go out and acquire you know a guy they just had off of waivers or anything else, they got Cortez on track when they got him back. For the that was what his third stint with them. They drafted yeah, him, lost third, him. Yeah. So they and lost traded him, twice, brought him back. Traded him time. for cash consider um traded him for extra international slot money to Seattle. Wow. And it's, yeah, so it's three times they had him. And the fun thing is, like the Yankees are objectively or have been objectively bad at pitcher development. There's a reason why they have to go out and trade for James Paxton, why they go out and make these they they spend a lot of high picks, but I mean look at JP Fireisen. Look, you and I both liked Heller and Fireisen when they went there. Both guys struggled mightily in that system. Fire Eisen goes to Milwaukee, gets b- like instantly better. There are a lot of pitchers who seem to, you know, Trevor Steffen, like they really reworked his stuff when he came to Cleveland and he was a way down the line guy in New York system. And now he's a, a good reliever. It was an objectively bad developmental pipeline well, there for a while. If you want to really talk about the Matt Blake effect, I guess that's where it is. The fact that the Yankees had him, twice before Matt Blake was in the fold and then they got him back a third time when Matt Blake was there. And now Nestor Cortez is an ace. So um, probably not a coincidence. I don't know. No, oh, it's there. And they're starting to develop some interesting internal arms. I really liked Ken Walt. Walt I'm going to get myself in trouble. Waduke, Walduke, the, you know, I, I think you can just make yourself a lot of pitching success, drafting St. Mary's arms, the lefty they traded to uh, the athletics. They traded another interesting pitcher for Scott Efrost. They actually, have interesting pitching for the first time in a long time. And I feel like mm-hmm. when they brought in Matt Blake, it wasn't just to be a major league pitching coach. Yes. But I feel like they probably bought into a whole approach. Cause I'm sure he has implemented to some degree, a top down approach like Cleveland had where it is. Yeah. I'm the major league pitching coach, but then plus, I mean, there's a great thing going around this week about like track man data when it first, when they wanted to show what it could do in 2014 and they needed someone to volunteer to catch. And he, it was Matt Blake. They have that picture of him wearing the catching equipment and being like, okay, I'll help. And yeah, I think I think it's something there. And, you know, Cortez, he doesn't miss a ton of bats, which is another reason to kind of like be afraid of him. Like he is, he's not the guy. He might be the scariest lefty in the postseason for me. You know who he is? He is Jamie Moyer all over again. I think he throws harder than Jamie Moyer, but that's, that's who he reminds me of. He, I mean, he strikes out a batter per inning. But uh, yeah, it's just he's under 10 like anymore. If like you're under 10, you're not huge. Not I'm not trying to say he's not good at it, but it's his fastball velocity. 10th percentile His extension. 9th percentile like extension. Sometimes get his whiff 40th percentile. Everything else red spin 68th percentile. You know what the hard part is, is is we talked about it yesterday. Garrett Cole is still a very good pitcher. Led the league in strikeouts for a reason, but Cleveland is striking out in the postseason a lot more than they did in the regular yes. season. That's a problem. Like, 
you cannot if you don't have balls in play, you just you aren't gonna you're not gonna hit. Like you can't go from being the best contact team in baseball in the regular season to striking out at like a twenty eight percent rate in the postseason. That's not not gonna work. Because you don't have you don't have the mistake hitters on your team that are gonna, you know, crush home runs when guys make mistakes. Stephen Kwan did on on in game one. And I would say that Oscar Gonzalez crushed a mistake and Jose Ramirez, I think he hit a good pitch, but yeah. Yeah. And one of the interesting things is if you go and look at Cortez's data now, admittedly he didn't pitch a ton in those other times, but he never uh, showed a cutter until he got to New York. And we have seen Cleveland pitchers add cutters quite often or a cut type of pitch to their repertoire. Uh, And that is, I think his second most used pitch this past year. And he didn't throw it until 2021. So yeah, just to kind of, Go back to our, Matt Blake our thing. statement. Yep. Yeah, it's. I agree. No, I feel like they are definitely swinging out of their shoes a little. They're trying to maybe do a little too much. They're pressing a bit. And I think we're seeing that on the field, you know, with a few, I, you know, I talk about poor Will Brennan and I like Will Brennan. You know, people ask me who's the right fielder of the future. And I, I don't know. It could be Valera. It could be Brennan. Um, it could be Oscar Gonzalez. It's a great problem that you have three interesting guys there. But I think, to me, he just kind of highlights what's going on, which is a lot of guys seem to be trying a little too hard right now. Maybe it is the whole, like, never been there before. For as much as we talk about the 2016 team showing anything can happen, that was a pretty veteran team that had, you know, had some runs in it before. Yeah, they had some established major league hitters. They didn't have as many young guys. I, I mean, the Will Brennan thing, yeah, probably there's some youthful issues going on there. Oscar Gonzalez, probably the same thing, although, you know, the defense thing we harped on a lot. I don't know. I just think it comes down to they're they're getting beat by good pitching, and yeah, good pitching is going to be good hitting the playoffs most times. Um, you know, because aces only make a mistake. You know, you're facing the best pitching. Those guys make, what, one or two mistakes a game. You have to hope that you've worked a walk, you've maybe gotten one hit, and then, boom, he makes a mistake through a homer. And I'm not saying home runs the only way to win a game. I'm just saying you get very few mistakes in the postseason. When you get them, you have to do damage. And if that's a double or something, that's great too. I mean, they, if they, a double with the bases loaded in game one would have changed the complexity of the okay. complexion of the game. They didn't get that. So it's just, you know, you, when they make a mistake, you have to get it. And Cole, Cole made his mistakes by hitting a batter and um, giving up the double to Ramirez. Guess what? Didn't make a mistake after that. That was it. They yeah. had their mistake. They, they didn't take advantage. And hopefully no one views this too negatively, but like looking at all the pitchers we've seen so far, both for Cleveland and their opponent by a wide margin, isn't Quantrell the worst one we've seen? Like, and that's not like a dig on him. It's just the level of pitching has been so good. There has not been a lot of guys who are, I mean, listen, we, we were bagging on Cole, but he's at worst at two. Like Quantrell is a solid right. mid-rotation guy, but there hasn't been enough. Cleveland hasn't gotten to face a mid-rotation starter in the postseason. Uh, right. And that's, like I said, I don't say this is a negative. Mid-rotation starters are extremely valuable. Quantrell has been great all year. He pitched a solid game. But it makes it a lot harder when you're facing ones and twos in every game. And, I mean, against Tampa, yeah, they faced a pair of ones. And they got lucky to a degree because – they got one pitch that they took it, you know, that they took advantage of that mistake, as you said. Then game two, 
they got deep into the bullpen. And that's kind of that thing where I think they're going to need to work in. I wish this team kind of worked counts a little bit more. I think that's one of the things kind of Stephen Kwan sees a lot of pitches. Jose can see a lot of pitches, but a lot of, you know, first pitch swings, second pitch swings. And they need to, especially if this Yankees team, maybe try to wear them down a bit. But let's yeah. let's take break number two here. Come back, uh, discuss a little bit more, you know, about how we're feeling on game two. Discuss the weather, um, and like I said, if we have time, we'll weigh in on this ridiculous hitting coach debate online. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think we're going to have time, but let me put it this way: Justin and I both agree. Um, lay off the dude. But first, a word from our fantastic sponsors. And we have returned triumphantly. It was touch and go there, but we are back. So, weather. It's always touch and go. We saw my power cut out in the middle of the podcast. We don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, today, so sorry so, for me to sit through uh, that. No, I mean, today at school we had a 40 minute break in the middle of the day for a tornado warning because one touchdown it's been weird up here um yeah (laughs) it's never ending uh but at least it's still going so it's positives the weather speaking of tornadoes how bad have you done have you done a check i i gotta admit i mean i'm just kind of relying on bob costs bob costas's weird fixation on the weather what's it looking like for tomorrow have you spent any time doing some additional research on this game or or your view do you think we'll get the game in tomorrow i do not it looks pretty ugly uh it looks like 80 percent chance of rain from seven o'clock on and even before that they're talking like four fifty cents so that's a lot of coverage area in new york that's going to see rain um you know new york's a big city Fifty percent of new york city is a lot so uh so let's let's they're going to play tomorrow. Yeah. So listen, it's good for me because more games on the weekend is is uh, beneficial from my perspective. But I felt like getting these games if they have to shove them together is beneficial to Cleveland because New York's pen is yeah now everyone gets fully rested, but all their guys were already fully rested from their their layoff. Uh, you know it, they don't have a lot of pitchers they can rely on there's about two to three guys i think they probably feel comfortable with if cleveland and the big if here is if my view is if you can get into a a loisinga who i know wasn't the greatest one you know uh, in the recent series if you can get into you know the guys like him uh who they went out and and pulled out Holmes, peralta i mean some of those lefties maybe you you render it so they can't in the next game and then that can help you if everything's gonna get smashed together that's my view, but I know you don't agree with me. So have at. Yeah. Well, I think the lack of the off day, well, if Shane Bieber wasn't pitching, maybe it would make a difference. Maybe it doesn't because he's pitching, but Hey, I think game two, I think we can both agree. It's a must win game. You, you go down. Oh, two, even your comeback home. It's, it's dire straits, right? You're not going to, it's hard to win three in a row against teams like this, but um, I guess if anybody else with Shane Bieber was pitching, I would be a little bit more concerned. Because it's likely to go – he's a guy I think you feel like, okay, you can maybe go three times to the order with him. But the lack of the second off day takes away Cleveland's advantage because you could you needed to, which is, again, why I don't know why they didn't do it on, on game one. 
you can go to the bullpen early because you have the right, the day off the next day. And hopefully Cleveland doesn't have to do that with Shane Bieber on the mound. But I think it takes away a little of their advantage there. And I don't think New York's bullpen is as bad as everyone's making it out to be. I think, yeah, they have some top guys that are hurt and that aren't in there, but they're going to have Jamison Tyone out there who he hasn't done it. So who we'll see, but Clay Holmes looked fine in game one. Um, Jonathan Wise, as we talked about is, is you get two hits, but he's going to get be fine. Like Wandy Peralta was good against lefties. So I don't think their bullpen is as bad as people are making it out to be. Um, I just think it takes away a little a margin of advantage for Cleveland being able to lean heavier on their bullpen if they needed to. But I don't know. Hopefully Shane Bieber makes it so that doesn't become a factor. Then you only have to do four games, three, four, and five in a row. And I think relievers can go three days in a row. Now, hearing you talk made me wonder. So do you think, because since they were losing – in that sixth inning, if it was tied or if Cleveland was winning, do you think they pull out Quantrell? Do you think it was a matter of the situation where, okay, we're losing this game. Maybe we want to hedge our bets a little. He's at only 73 pitches. Let's send him back out. Whereas, you know, we saw with both McKenzie and Bieber, a, somewhat of a quick hook. Uh, do you think that played any effect here? Is my random thought craziness? Or do you think that could have been something in play? <sighs> I don't know. I, I Someone asked Francona at, at during McKenzie's start on game two, like about pulling them because I forgot what, what the question framed and Francona was like, no, the, the game situation just dictated. It was time for him to come out. He had done his job. And I don't understand why that didn't apply to Cal Quantrill. Um, Maybe I'm know, just trying to find logic where logic doesn't exist. <laughs> you know, that's no, I, I, I don't, I guess it could have been, you're just hoping that, um, I mean, they didn't even. I mean, who do they burn? They burn. They they used Stefan and Karinchak and De Los Santos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they, they didn't really go to anybody. Like, they didn't go to Class A. Karinchak threw fourteen pitches. That's actually not a lot for him. De Los Santos threw six, so it was inconsequential. And twelve for Stefan. I, I mean, Karinchak was the most pitches of anyone. Yeah, fourteen. Fourteen's a good day for Karinchak. Yeah. So I don't know. It was, it was I, quick work for all of them. Yeah, they all look great. That's why I didn't understand they didn't. If you do an inning sooner, then not only that, but in the postseason, bringing in relievers with runners on, like, is not, yeah, you're going to do it no. if you're in an emergency situation. But if you're going to bring a reliever in, you might as well do it with the bases clean, right? Like, that's, yeah, let them go out there without traffic on. Yeah. No, because, and especially someone like 99, who has a very slow, you know, has one of the slowest approaches in baseball. It's like, guys. Him. Yeah, you know, are running on him left and right. Yeah, he, he strikes out a lot of guys, so there is the benefit, but you kind of want to, you have to know about those things. And I feel like in general, the pitchers are very delivered to the mound. I saw some stuff earlier in the year that maybe hedges his arm isn't quite where it used to be, but we saw a lot more stolen bases this year. Like, it's not a make or break type of deal, but I think it's also something to, you know, do we put it on the pitcher, the catcher? I think there is a chance to advance. In the bullpen, for sure. If you look at bullpen numbers, I think Stefan and Karinchak allowed as many had as many steals against them as as Shane Bieber. So, what does that tell you? The relievers are getting as many steals off of them as a starter who has twice the amount of innings. That doesn't. That's not just on the catcher. Yeah. No, it's how much faith do you have in Shane Bieber going into tomorrow? Do you think there is any? Do you think he has any residual? 
heebie-jeebies about facing New York after the 2020? Do you think he, you know, if there's any internal, listen, we all have doubt demons. We all face those to varying degrees. Do you think there's anything left? Or do you think if there was anything there at all, uh, having that dominant performance uh, completely knocked him out? No, I, th- I think they had a good game plan for Cal Quantrill, and he executed it to his best of his abilities. And through five innings, he kept him to the game, you know, until that Rizzo at bat when even four to one is still in the game. It's just, you know, the way they were hitting, like we said, it felt like 14 to one. But they had a game plan. Cal Quantrill executed. He got Aaron Judge out twice. He struck him out twice. The one guy that, you know, you thought would beat you didn't beat you. It was somebody else, which is frustrating. But um and, and Bieber's got better stuff, and he had a great start against the Rays. No, I don't think there's going to be any issue. I think he looked as good as he has all season against Tampa Bay. I think he'll just go based on that. Do you think we will see the same lineup that we've seen? Do you think there's any chance that it's not going to be Miller tomorrow? Do you think they would even consider Arias um, or someone else to step in? Or you think it's just going to be the Jimenez hitting seventh, Miller sixth, Naylor, like the the traditional lineup we saw all year against lefties? I think I think there's a chance that Naylor might sit. Um, I could see. I don't know. Will Will Brennan did not have great at bats either. Like, I don't know who you're going to use if if Miller. I could see Miller being at first base and then figuring out. <clears throat> we'll see if Brennan's in right field. Someone pointed out to me that Will Brennan didn't play a ton of right field in the minors, and yes, the majority of his starts in the outfield in the minors were left field and center field. He still played some right, and I guess they were you know a little bit weary of throwing him out there when he hasn't had a lot of experience, but uh, they should have gotten him the experience. I don't know. Why didn't they, they get him the experience they when they had Ernie James? Clement in the outfield this year? Yes. Thank you. Yes. You know, they play Michael Martinez in the out, you know, T- Terry loves, he loves the Martinez. <laughs> Listen, earlier this year, I sent out a tweet like, you know, Ernie Clement is, you know, the, the latest member of the Mike Freeman, Michael Martinez, like t- t- Mike Avila's Tito Irrational Love, to which Mike Freeman responded to it. I'm always like, man, you must have a lot of time if I'm not tagging you in these things and you're like searching out your name. Right. But he loves guys that are just like him and he trusts those guys implicitly to the almost like a detrimental state. And yeah, it's, Does you know, Cortez I throw a big curveball. He's a four seamer and then cutter his and then slider change sinker curveball. He only had four pitches this year by Samant. Okay. So Naylor he's fastball cutter almost entire fastball cutter is 77% of his pitches thrown this year. The slider is 18% and the change is 4%. Uh, The slider is not all that great. He's fastball cutter. Yeah. So I take that back. Miller DH Naylor first. Sorry, it'll be Naylor. Based on the pitch mix, I would expect Naylor to be in. No, it's, be, it's there won't be any changes. It'll be Miller, Miller hitting you know seventh and Jimenez hitting sixth. I don't know. It's just with Oscar. Uh, just, it's the frustration of like we're gonna keep doing this thing with Owen Miller, even though he's not good at it. Like if uh, if you don't, but if you don't trust. If you don't trust Will Brennan in right field because he hasn't had enough experience there, yeah. you're certainly not going to trust Gabriel Arias first base in a playoff game where he's played like four career starts. So that's just not going to happen. I, I and I get that. It just it's just the frustration of like why are we still stuck in this situation? Why is it still a situation where listen, Owen Miller 
is bad against lefties. He's he's passable against righties. He is bad against lefties. He's slightly better than Naylor. And, you know, th- this team desperately kind of needed a loop low. You know, they, they needed someone who could actually do that job that Miller can too. Miller is a, listen, Miller is a solid backup. He can handle a few different positions. He runs well. Uh, and he can be a good pinch hitter against a right-handed. Uh, you know, I know I'm speaking of the choir here, but it's just my frustration going through that somehow we're still we're still doing this yeah yeah more 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 things we can talk about in the offseason for sure we have no lack of content to talk about in the offseason but like i said let's hope that's not for a few more weeks yes let's hope that is a while off it's just we're gonna see that same and you know jimenez hitting down and everything else is just gonna be frustrating us in to watch it only unfold tomorrow but yeah cortez with the if they play cutter if they play, or if not, then it's going to be frustration on Friday. But yeah, uh, th- this is going to be one of those where I'm just going to be sitting there on my couch if it's going poorly and being like, <sighs> freaking Matt Blake. Stop, you know, <laughs> Matt Blake, who follows me on Twitter, be like, I'm not going to at him, but it'd be like, why'd you have to teach him a, a cutter? Drop into, his, drop into his DMs. Why do you have to teach him a cutter? Um, I'm sure he's checking. Yeah, I'm sure he would respond to that. Um, <laughs> like all the people responding to the fake Matt Blake account. I'm not sure if Matt Blake uh, got rid of his Twitter or, and, you know, <laughs> I was kind of curious to like see what his, uh, if he indeed does still. Yes, we follow each other. So nice. But yeah, no, he, uh, that cutter. I mean, that is such a clear. The funny thing is, for a long time, if you go back, that was the very White Sox thing to do was, um, I mean, that was Esteban Loiza, who is another guy we can't talk about. Uh, outside of baseball, but you know, he was terrible. Oh, got there, got a cutter. Uh, and then it was Cleveland kind of teaching, working with some off speed stuff. And yeah. So I pitch, guess what you're feeling. Pitch info, yeah. Pitch info value. Wow. 10 runs above average for the cutter and 24.3 yeah. runs above average and for the four fastball in general. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know what? That might bode well for Cleveland. I know the fastball is sneaky, but well, I don't know. Cleveland's not a good fastball hitting team, no, but they not. also struggle. They struggle with velocity and not necessarily the fastball itself. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, he's, it's low velocity but high spin. So high spin extension, yeah, that makes it harder. Same as Tristan McKenzie. It's uh, you know he, he can hit ninety five, <laughs> but even when he's throwing ninety ninety two, it's still that's a, the weird thing though. It's like he doesn't he doesn't have extension either. So he has low extension, low velocity. Oh, Cortez does not. Yeah, no, he's oh, like one geez. of the worst for extension. He's like ninth uh, percentile. I have to look. Is he one of those guys that's like uh, what do they call that? The vertical approach angle, like a flat vertical approach angle. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you could see that on Savant, but he might have a like a low release release height or something. I don't know. That's what I'm guessing. If he doesn't have good extension, like Logan Allen's like that. Logan Allen, not great extension and not lanky, but he has a low. He has a a really flat vertical approach angle, and that makes the fastball more deceptive. So I wonder if Nestor Cortez is the same. Here's a here's a great stat. I, I have to throw this in before the show. And similar pitchers to Nestor Cortez based on velocity and movement. Top oh, five no. pitchers. 2021, Wade Miley. 2021, Colby Allard. 2021, Tyler Alexander. 2021, Madison Bumgartner. 2022, Kirk McCarty. Hello? <laughs> <laughs> well, Wade Miley did no hit the Indians last year. I mean, everyone. Did. <laughs> that tells you, yeah. Well, it was a very different lineup though, but yes. what a weird, what a weird list. Yeah. That's based 
it's not it's just velocity movement so it's <laughs> he has to have that's a weird exciting. release point I mean, that's that's got to be uh let's see horizontal i was just looking at like inches of break of and inches of drop i mean he's the four seamer does guess. not yeah it doesn't break but the well i mean it has a high drop so i don't know how low that release point could be if it's got 3.2 inches of average drop on the four seamer yeah i don't know it's hard to say i i, I these are again these are things you cannot find out from public data yeah. unfortunately but if I, I had know. to guess, that might be it. I don't know. I have to look at the. I'd have to look at. Uh, boy, if you want to look at batted ball profile, not great either. Twenty nineteen, you got Ryan Brazier. Twenty nineteen, Connor Brockton. Twenty nineteen, Trent Thornton. Twenty twenty two, Penn Murphy. And twenty nineteen, Sean Armstrong. None of those things are good. No, like all of his data is <laughs> is awful. Like comparatively. Oh man. Um, yeah, but it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, and. Like I was just kind of like looking at the data that's changed, like the from 2020 to 2021. You kind of look over at it. It's like, oh yeah. I mean the stuff. I'm like, what's changed massively? I mean, he did. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to really point out anything in particular outside of adding that cutter. You know, adding a legitimate secondary pitch to really shore everything up. Uh, you know, the, it seems to have helped elevate everything else there i mean there was enough interesting things to get him taken in the rule five that doesn't mean a ton but there was something there there was enough interesting things to make um seattle at least want to take a peek at him there was stuff there third time around though gets to new york learns that cutter and now stupid matt blake has set up uh the guardians with a impossible not impossible a tough matchup that you know like i said data wise just <laughs> doesn't make sense um but yeah we gotta hope that this is going to uh improve for cleveland but yeah it's it's a hard matchup it is the type of guy that they sometimes struggle against i know velocity is an issue but it feels like from the left side the soft tosser is more more you know the guy they struggle with and yeah we'll see i i i don't feel great what's what's your prediction as we go along today Pain, <laughs> pain. Uh, yeah, I, mm, I think I agree with your prediction. Like, yeah, I have another. I have a feeling it's going to be another low-scoring loss. It'll probably be like three to one this time or something. It, it feels, uh, you know, to go to another Rocky reference, it feels like they're Apollo Creed getting ready to face Drago in this one. Uh, oh, yeah. yikes! I, I feel like this is a bit of a, a murder punch round. Um, Okay, the it, Guardians are not Tommy Gunn, at least. No, no, they they're certainly better than that. Uh, but I'll say this: like the other nice thing to this game, getting kicked back, is there's no way in heck, even on short rest, and Nelson Cortez could come back. Like we're gonna definitely get. I mean, it's very unlikely, but maybe he could have done like if, if this went game five, like maybe he could have appeared out of the pen if they were desperate. I mean, this pretty much knocks him out of the series. And I won't say even if they are 2 0 that they're dead. Like McKenzie it also in game does three, for Beaver, though. Yeah, it does. It knocks you out of Beaver and McKenzie. But I I, I, I won't say this team's dead till they're dead. I'll just put it there. Well, that was a, a supersized edition for a non-game. Tomorrow, we'll either be discussing weather 
or discussing hopefully a Guardians win and you can all laugh at us and we will be very happy to be laughed at or we'll be discussing a uh, it's going to be, you know, today's episode brought to you by Zoloft um, because we'll be feeling (laughs) a bit down in the dumps. Not that there is anything wrong with using stuff that makes you that helps you never feel shame for what you use. That didn't come out right. But you know what I mean? You know the heart of that. I think it's time to say goodnight. <laughs> time to say goodnight. It's late. Um, have a great evening, all. Uh, from Justin and myself. <laughs> this one, we had some fun. It was a little odd. We had trivia. We had awkwardness. We had Rocky. And now we'll end how we always end. Go, go, Guardians, go.